Welcome back, everyone. I'm Sarah Peck, and this is the Startup Pregnant Podcast. What is your definition of success? This can be a really tricky question, and most people I know get swept up into a cultural definition of success or in the peer-to-peer comparison that can happen, and then at some point find themselves waking up and realizing, how did I get here? And is this what I really want? Ali Ciarto is the founder of Ali and Co. Photography, and she is the founder of the Photo Field Notes podcast. Allie runs a team of award-winning portrait and wedding photographers out of East Lansing, Michigan, along with her podcast, which is an educational resource for photographers. When she's not running the business, you can find her sailing on Lake Michigan or chasing after her two tiny daughters or tasting every dessert there is in sight. But before she was a photographer and the founder of this company, she was the co-founder of a crazy successful company called LoudPixel. She was an entrepreneur to envy. She was on many of those charts and featured across news outlets. And by every account, at least by external measures, she was successful. And then it came time to sell her company and she hesitated. Was this what she really wanted? In today's episode, we talk with Allie about how walking away from her, quote, successful business taught her about what success really looks like. She decided to shut down a wildly crazy successful business and fire all of her employees after having her first daughter. She realized she could not stand the thought of sending her to daycare and then going to work every day to work on something she didn't love. The business had been all about making money and pursuing the idea of success that other people had told her she should pursue, but it had not been about creating the life that she really wanted for herself. When she shut down the business, she worried, of course, what other people would think and whether or not they would think she had failed as a business owner, especially. She worried about what her employees would think of her. But the result was that it left her with more time to pursue a completely different business, a more fulfilling and flexible career, one where she built a team of wedding and portrait photographers, and where her clients used to call her at all hours with all sorts of emergencies and cause a huge amount of stress in her life. Now she plans her schedule way in advance. She also spends a month in Florida every year and plans sailing trips across Lake Michigan without worrying that she will miss an urgent call from a demanding client. Today, we're going to talk about how she shifted from one to the next, what it felt like to do it when she had such little kids at home, and how to stop worrying so much about what other people tell you success should look like and instead focus on what you truly want and need in your own life right here, right now. Hey, hey, I made a thing and I want to tell you all about it. It's one of our new guides and it's up on our website. One of the biggest struggles in my business isn't coming up with new ideas or doing more. One of the biggest challenges is focusing, figuring out how to do less, and making sure I have clarity about doing just the right things. I wish I could say that I had it all figured out and I have a magic wand to make life easier, poof, presto, but not quite. But what I do have is a structure of questions, just three questions that I return to time and time again that helps me sort myself out whenever those piles of to-do lists are getting way too long. It's a three-step process, and I walk you through how to do it and what it looks like. Three questions, 
for clarity, simplicity, and a new superpower, which is saying no to the things that you don't actually need to do. If you want the free guide, head to startuppregnant.com slash stop. That's startuppregnant.com slash stop. S-T-O-P. And you can grab the guide for free. The link is also in the show notes. It's our freebie guide for figuring out what to drop, how to do less, and how to simplify your business whenever you feel the chaos descending upon you. Friends, I have one other request, one other ask for all of you before we get into today's episode of the podcast. One of the ways that we are supported in creating this show is through our backers on Patreon. We have a small number of dedicated supporters, and it means a tremendous amount. It literally provides some of our coffee in the studio, but also covers our editing costs and covers the cost of production and the time it takes to create something like this, this podcast. If you are enjoying this podcast and you have been a longtime listener, please consider supporting us on Patreon. We have $1, $4, $5, $7 amounts for you to back us. Many people, I think most of our supporters back us at the $4 a month level. And we are going to be offering a new $7 per month level for people who back us. In fact, we will be creating a new special Patreon only podcast feed for people to ask questions about pregnancy, parenting, business building strategy. And even if you want to ask questions about me and my personal life, I will be answering anything you ask in an Ask Me Anything AMA style podcast that will be available only to our Patreon followers and backers. So go to patreon.com slash startup pregnant and you can submit a question to ask me anything you want and you will get access to the private podcast feed that we have just for Patreon backers. Welcome to the Startup Pregnant Podcast, where we talk to creative leaders about what it means to be an entrepreneur and a parent. I'm your host, Sarah K. Peck. Everyone, I am so excited to welcome Allie CR to the show. Allie, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me, Sarah. I want to jump right into this because you and I are going to talk, I'm sure, for hours about this. We haven't caught up in so long. <laughs> but you reached out to me and you told me that your vision of success changed as an entrepreneur when you started having kids. So I want to jump into this story. Can you tell me about your entrepreneurship journey before kids and then take us up to the point when you had kids. Tell me all about it. Yes, definitely. It's a really winding path. I started out, I actually, when I always tell my story, I, I kind of start in college because when I was in college, I studied advertising and my whole idea of success was you go to school, you get a degree, you get a job and you spend the rest of your life working your way up the corporate ladder. And I was like, okay, I'm going to work in advertising. I'm going to live in a big city. I'm going to work my way up to like, I don't know, creative director. I'm going to be designing something really amazing. And that's going to be my life. That's it. So <laughs> it didn't really work out exactly that way. It did start out that way. I did get my degree. I did move to Chicago. I started working in a PR agency. And about two years into working for a PR agency, I got this... Well, okay, here's where it started. I went out to wine with a friend, my cube mate, my like roommate who I shared a cubicle with. And we were talking about what we were doing. And we were kind of doing like market research, 
we were doing market research using social media. So we were looking at what people were saying about companies online, and we were using that to help companies understand what people felt about them. And it was kind of this new thing at the time. So this was 2000 and like 2009. And I was like, I know there's something here. It's so new. There's going to be so much demand for this. Like, I would love to have a company where I do this. But I was looking around me and everybody who had companies, everybody who was starting these kind of like boutique PR agencies or any kind of digital agency, they were all probably like 20 years into their companies. And I was like, well, in 20 years, I'll start my own company and it'll be really cool. But I just can't do it. I'm 24 years old. There's no way it can happen. And so I talked to my friend, you know, told her my little vision. We had wine. We had a great night. And about a week later, she called me or she messaged me and she said, if you're serious, I have your first client for you. And so sure enough, she had like this big global client and she helped me set up a meeting. And I somehow landed this client, ended up quitting my job, getting my then fiance, Jeff, now my husband, to... He was kind of a freelancer then. He was actually like my entrepreneurial inspiration because he was the only... Per- well, my my dad also worked for himself. But in my like my age range, he was the only person I knew who actually from college went immediately into working for himself. And he actually went to one of his close professors when he was in college. And he said, I'm not going to go look for a job. I'm going to work for myself. And the the professor said, you're crazy. You should not go work for yourself. You have to get a job. Hmm. Like You're going to fail. He basically said, you're going to fail. So I brought him in. And then we had my other friend quit his job and came in. And we kind of built a tech business around it. So we built a tool that we used to do the research analyze what was being said online about companies. And we started to build our client base and basically just through connections. So I guess it did kind of work out. I had worked in the PR agency for just a couple or PR industry for a few years, built some connections, and that helped me land some of the initial clients. So we were working with these big global clients, really like getting going, hired our first employee a couple months in and just like really, really going well. And I, I can't remember exactly how many years in. Let's see maybe like two years in, our biggest client came to us and said that they wanted to acquire us. And this was kind of like the first moment of realization of like, from that point, from the early point, I had just been trying to figure out kind of like, how do I keep going with what's happening? Like I could barely stay ahead. I could barely plan for what my life was going to be because everything was just coming at me so fast that I was almost just reactive instead of proactive with absolutely everything. And so when they came to us and they said, we want to buy your company, and I was like, I don't know, 26 or 27 years old. And I was like, what? I could be in my 20s and say that I've had a company acquired. And it wasn't like, well, they also wanted us to go work for them. So it wasn't a situation where I was like, oh, awesome. I can't wait to go work for them and have this be my life day to day. It was, won't I look successful if I can say that I've sold my company at this age? Won't other people think that's great? Won't that look so good when I take that money and make my kitchen look nicer and you know, like can put on this look of success? And so I didn't realize it at the time, but everything that I was doing was based on other people. And every time that anybody asked about my company, the first few questions that they would ask would be, how many employees do you have? Some people would even ask, like, what's your revenue? Who are your clients? It was all those really outward facing signs of success. No one ever came to me and said, hey, do you like what you do? Do you enjoy this? Do you see yourself doing this for the rest of your life? And when I really started digging into it, the answer was no. 
And so when we, we went to a conference kind of last minute, we spoke at a conference and it was the week that we were supposed to sign the paperwork to sell our company. And we had the paperwork. We were like in our hotel room about to sign it. And Jeff was really hesitant. He was not excited to sell the company. He didn't want to go work for someone because he'd never worked for someone before. And so he was like, let's just wait. Like it's Friday. Let's just wait until we're home from this conference. There's so much going on. Let's really like think about it over the weekend. And we'd been dealing, I mean, we'd been going through this for six months. Like I was like, of course we're signing. How do we not? So he's like, let's just think about it for the weekend. And that weekend we ended up meeting a guy at the conference who basically talked us out of selling our company. He was like our therapist for the weekend. He was like, I can tell that you don't want to go work for someone else, that it's not in your heart to want to go work for someone else. Like I can tell that you're passionate about controlling your own life and destiny and getting to have that control in your space of what your life is going to look like. And so sure enough, that the next like Monday or Tuesday, I called the company. I told them that we're not going to sell. And I had this really defining moment when in the process of this, the guy who we met, who was another you know entrepreneur and ran a similar business and who we did end up partnering with for some things. He said, why don't you cancel your plane ticket and just stay in DC? The conference was in DC. Cancel your plane ticket, stay in DC for a few days with my wife and I. And, you know, let's just like talk. You can come meet my company. Like, let's, I don't know. It was just this really last minute thing. And Jeff had to go back, but he's like, I canceled your ticket. See you later. And I'm like, Oh my God, what have I done? (laughs) Like, what am I going to do? And I remember this moment when I was sitting in the hotel room thinking, Oh my gosh, we're not going to sell the company. And this moment in this very, like the second where I'm sitting in this hotel room, is this image in my mind because I thought the decision that I make today is going to impact my entire life and it's going to impact who my children are because if I go work for them, I'm like for sure going to have children later and my life is going to be defined by them and they're going to help me decide what my family looks like and what my life looks like. And if I turn down this offer, which is really hard to do, I'm going to have control over my life again and I'm going to get to decide when my children are born and what that's going to look like. And I was like, literally, this is like defining what my family is going to look like in the future. And so I still look back at that moment and kind of get teary eyed because I think I wouldn't have the two girls who I have and the ages that they are if we had decided to sell the company. Hmm. This is so, (laughs) Ali, I want to just like, this is so interesting because I think people don't talk about this enough about how important like figuring out what success looks like for you and how wrapped up in other people's success we can get. I know so many behind the scenes stories and people listening, it just never take at face value what you see online on the internet. Because I know so many people who have these boastful stories of, oh, I sold my company in the thousands and they sold it for a thousand and one dollars just so they could say that they sold their company. And this like pressure to achieve and this pressure to be perceived in a certain way, it gets all of us, right? And yeah. thank you for like being so honest about sharing this. How did you start to become aware of it? Like, How did you make this decision and take us... I mean, I know there's so much more to this story, so keep going, please. Sure, yeah. That one honestly was... It was just this meeting this one person. I mean, in my head, there was no other choice. Whether I wanted to sell the company or not, there was no other path ahead of me. I just thought, this is what I have to do because someone's approached me with this. I can't turn it down. 
and also knowing that they were a really big client and that if we did walk away from them, eventually we'd probably be walking away from that contract. And really that's what happened. So when we walked away from them, we knew like basically we have the remainder of this contract to decide, are we going to then grow it? And at the time I was like, okay, yeah, we'll like keep working with these other people and do this. And ultimately what happened was almost exactly a year later, we just decided we were done. And so I'll get into that. Okay. So let me go back. So we decide not to sell the company. We continue with our contract knowing like, okay, we're going to have to kind of decide what's going to happen. And we did a little bit of a freedom tour, like, okay, like we've contained our freedom. We're going to keep our freedom. So we went back to DC. We did a little trip to New York. And when we were in DC and we met with that new friend again, he convinced us, this guy, (laughs) my friend Spencer, he is a very persuasive person. And so while we were in DC on our little freedom tour, we had just bought a house in Michigan. So we started in Chicago, moved to Michigan, (laughs) bought a house. And Spencer was like, hey, my friend has this really great condo in DuPont Circle and he travels the world or travels the country for work. So he's never home. So he's essentially looking for someone to rent this place out to for really cheap. And he'll just be there once a month if he's ever back. And he convinced us in this one little day to move ourselves to DC, just kind of a short term. So we moved to DC for about eight or nine months and just kind of like treated it like study abroad. And we're like, okay, we're, you know, we're free. We can do this. We're not tied to a company and we are location independent. So why not just live in DC for a little while and experience that? And while we were in DC, we decided that we wanted to have a family. And so I was pregnant for the majority of the time in DC, knowing that we'd be back in Michigan by the time we had our first daughter. So in the process of that, you know, I'm really reflective. I'm thinking about, okay, we're going to have this daughter. I have this company going on. Jeff also started working. He was the one who really was getting tired of the business before I was, I think he was more willing to verbalize it. What happened was we were doing essentially, we had this technology and then they had, we had consulting kind of built into the technology. So we were doing market research where we were pulling the reports for companies and we were doing a lot of, sometimes it would be really last minute things where we'd get a crisis call like the weekend where something had happened with a company and they needed us to keep an eye online, like at trends on social media to look and see how they should respond. So we were kind of informing them of how people felt about them so that they could figure out how they needed to respond. And we were just kind of getting burnt out by that. And we were getting burnt out by the fact that we were handing over these reports and we weren't getting a lot of feedback. And we just we were just losing our passion for it. And so he initially started working part-time. He got a call randomly to start working part-time doing contracting for NASA, which is like his dream thing. And so he started doing that, which left me kind of as the main person in charge of the business. And I was definitely slowly getting burnt out by it. And then a couple of little things came together. First, we're both getting, he's more verbally getting burnt out. I'm kind of like subtly getting burnt out. We had turned down the sale of our business and kind of had to figure out, okay, what do we really even want our lives to look like? Um, And then another big thing that happened, which seems so small, but really helped shape my mind was I was going through Molly Mayhar's, it was called Joy Juice. And it was this journaling prompt thing where every three days I would get an email and it would ask me questions and there would be a theme of the month. So it would ask me a question and I'd have to just journal it. And it was a lot of thought provoking, you know, like happiness and things that make you feel good. And it was so helpful. And she had one month that was success. The month was all about success. And so 
One was actually, funny enough, write a letter to your future daughter, pretend you're having a future daughter, which I was, and write a letter to her defining success. And I wrote, and I found one, I was trying to find that one. I found a different one where I said, this is what I wrote for just the question, what is your definition of success? I said, this is just a part of it. On the outside world, I surround myself with people who measure success in a very quantitative form. One, money made. Two, people employed. Three, company growth. Four, articles featured in. Five, books written. And then I kind of went on to say that that may be how others view success and that may be the success that I'm trying to project to the world. But ultimately, what I saw as success, I I wrote, success is more than money. Success is freedom. And so I wanted the freedom to spend time with my daughter to, if I was going to send her to daycare, the freedom to work on projects that really made me feel good. And then, okay, so there's one other underlying part here. The whole time that I was running Loud Pixel, I was also doing kind of off and on photography as like, it was like an alter ego. I started just kind of experimenting because I was doing business to business work with LoudPixel where we were doing market research for them. And I kind of just liked this idea of like having a little business to consumer business where I was doing photography for people. And it was totally never meant to make money in the beginning, but I started to book weddings and shoot weddings. And I just was like, people would cry when I sent my work to them. And I had one case where it was around the same time, of course, it all comes together. I had one wedding where she's still a friend today. Her dad was dying of cancer and she kind of got in touch with me in a bit of a panic and said, we have to move our wedding date up because we don't think my dad's going to make it to the wedding. And so they moved their wedding date up by a couple of months. And I just remember crying behind my camera all day along with everybody else because everybody knew that he had terminal brain cancer and that he didn't have a lot of time left. And so like the first time he saw her and it was so emotional and he still walked her down the aisle. And I knew that all of those photos were going to be so meaningful to them. And he did end up dying, I think about a week before their original wedding date. And so it was just, it was much more, it got the feels for me so much more. I felt so much more emotionally connected to that work. And even though it was not on the outside, a successful sounding career, especially now so many people are photographers and anybody can say they're a photographer. So when I say, Hey, I'm a wedding and portrait photographer, I run a team of wedding and portrait photographers. You know, some people might be like, yeah, okay, whatever. You're like a stay at home mom. But so it was a lot more impressive for me to be able to go out and say, I run a company that's been featured in these places and won this award and works with these global companies. It was so much more impressive on the outside, but I'm so much happier doing what I'm doing now. So ultimately, I did this writing. I kind of (laughs) came to the point where I realized that I just didn't want to do it anymore with LabPixel. And so I um, kind of like taking a very long story and not really making it short because I've already been talking for a while, but (laughs) making it short as I can. (laughs) Um, There's so much more to it. But we basically, we kind of told one of our partners who was another agency who we'd been working with. He asked us if we maybe wanted to like get funding and take it on a larger scale and rebuild the tool because it kind of needed to be rebuilt at that point. It was a couple years old, really like blow it up and make it something big. And I was so burnt out at that point that I said, and I was about to have a baby and I said, you know what, honestly, you can just do it. Like I'm just walking away. I can't mm-hmm. do it. So we <laughs> I walked away from a lot of really big opportunities because even though on the outside, they would have looked amazing. And, you know, and of course I love when friends would be like, 
oh, Allie, it's so amazing all the things you're doing. You know, I wrote a book, I checked all the boxes, but it just didn't make me feel the way I wanted to feel. And so we let him go ahead and do it. And the hardest part, of course, was we had to let go of our team. We had to fire them. So that part was by far the worst moment of the decision because it wasn't just impacting me or us. It was impacting a whole team. But we did luckily kind of had enough save. We gave them a good severance. They were able to find other things, connect them to other people that we knew. And then I kind of took some quiet time with my daughter when she was born and then really started taking the concepts that I had learned from running kind of a tech and consulting business and applied it to a photography business and grew my photography business. And that's now my full-time job. I think there's so many parts of the story that are so interesting because we can get so wrapped up in external markers of success and you, you checked all the boxes. I, I mean, I think I've been following you for a long time. So I, I think you got invited to the White House and you like were on all these lists of like fast growing entrepreneurs and you're running this major tech company that was doing really interesting and innovative kind of like cutting edge work at a time when people didn't know how to understand social media analytics or data or what people were saying about you online and how to measure it. And you had this huge opportunity in front of you, but there's this moment where you also have to reconcile with your own wants and needs and desires about what it means to live a good life and what kind of life you want and whether or not the work that you're doing actually is meaningful or fulfilling to you. I know so many stories of women who go through pregnancy and leave a, like a quote unquote job, I'm using air quotes here, like the corporate mm -hmm. career, because there's a similar... I call it the like bullshit detector gets activated. Yeah. Once you yeah. once you get pregnant, you're like, wait, stop. Like, is this worth it? Because I don't have time to bullshit anymore. And it's so fascinating to me that it happened to you with the company that you built and you ran. Like it's not limited to the evil corporate <laughs> world over there, but it can happen to any of us for any project. Oh, I mean, thank you for sharing yeah. all of that. So how do you well, how do you go ahead? Please go ahead. Well, uh, yeah. And, I mean, it was also really hard to talk about because I think, again, just as much as I recognized that I was kind of putting my own success in the vision of or the, the way that people saw the business, because I was so tied to that business that I felt like people saw me and my success as that business. And I, I had a hard time communicating as people were like, hey, how's it going? What's new? You know, how's the business doing? It was really hard to say to people, oh, yeah, I just, I'm, shutting. And it took a little while to fully shut it down. We had to finish out contracts. So we kind of like took mm, six months to a year to fully shut it down. But it was really hard for me to express to people that I wasn't a failure. <laughs> like I felt mm. from an external viewpoint that I was just like, people were, I knew it wasn't a failure. I knew it was 100% my choice. Like I was taking control of my life and making that decision. And I 100%, like I knew that I was going to take a pay cut. That business was very financially successful. I knew that running over and doing weddings and taking portraits was not going to be as lucrative as running this you know, big global consulting, whatever company. But so from the outside world, when people are like, so what are you doing now? You mm. know, it's like, oh, I'm a wedding photographer, but it's, there's just so much more depth to that story. There's so much more to it. And I think that I've managed to be 
successful as a wedding photographer, both like from a financial perspective and even more so from a personal perspective, because now I have control over my schedule like I never had before. So I was telling you before we started recording that we are sailing. We're going to try as long as weather allows us. We're going to do a 12 hour sail this weekend. And it, that would just never happen mm-hmm. if I was working for the company that I had before because I had to be 100% connected at every single moment. We got married the year that we started our company and that was the mo- we got married in Mexico, so out of the country, and that was so stressful for me and I was still checking in, you know, every single day that I was in Mexico and making sure things were going well. And it's really nice to know that I can literally put my out of office on and it does not matter. I do not have to check in, I do not have to reply. I control my life. I work three days a week now and I can still run my company. I took a month to go to Florida this winter and just kind of enjoy the time. And it's been really amazing. You've done a number of things to kind of reset your schedule in terms of like, what kind of business do I want to design that allows me these... I think it's something we don't think about necessarily in our 20s. I mean, I know there are people who think about it, but it can be hard to evaluate on metrics like what kind of life does this give me and how often do I have to be available and how much freedom do I have to move around and I remember when I was thinking about becoming a writer that I really loved the idea of being able to do it from anywhere, even if it didn't pay a tremendous amount that was worth it to me in terms of the trade-offs for all of the different kinds of jobs there are. But then I got into PR a little bit and I had to answer my email like within 30 minutes of people sending me an email. And I only lasted (laughs) about six months where I was just like, I can't, I can't. This is just too much. Like my nervous system felt like I was just in constant yeah. Dopamine I mean, shock. And that's, that's, that's literally the world I was in because it was working with PR agencies. So you absolutely know that world. Like, yes, if you don't reply within 30 minutes, you're going to get a phone call. And if you don't answer that phone call, there's trouble. And for us, it was our, those were our clients. So it wasn't just a matter of like, you're an employee and somebody else will handle it. It was someone has got to take care of it for the sake of keeping the client. And so that made for, a lot of stress and lots of weekend work and lots of late nights and just unexpected. Any little thing would happen in the news with any of those clients and we were on call basically for any of those things. Wow. Before we turn into the photography studio and some of the scheduling things that you've done, how did you redefine what success looks like? And tell me more about those journaling exercises you did with Molly. Molly's amazing. She was on the show and I am such a fan. I'll link to her stuff in the show notes. How did you like come up with a new definition for what success looked like? Did you have one or was it a work in progress? What did that look like? Honestly, a lot of it came out of that prompt where she asked me to write a letter to my future daughter and tell my daughter what success looked like. Because what that does is it makes you take... So if you have... Whether you have a daughter or a son or a combination or whatever you have, it allows you to take yourself out of your own mind. Because I think all through my 20s, my every vision of myself came through the lens of what other people, my peers were going to think of me. Everything was about how they were going to view every little move that I made. And when I took that new perspective and the new lens and I looked at it as what's my kid going to think success looks like? How am I going to illustrate to my kid what success is? I was like, hmm, if she said to me, mommy, do you think you're successful or what is success? I thought, huh, I don't have freedom. That's my number one thing that I kind of realized in all that journaling was freedom, freedom to choose your schedule, freedom to kind of, to some extent, choose your work or define your work. Just 
freedom. And I didn't have that in any form. I was, I was a, I was very much like a, it sounds dramatic to say I was a prisoner of my work, but I was very much like the work had run away with itself and I was on the ride and I was like kind of stuck doing it in a certain way. And I could try to move it and grow it and whatever, but the clients were very much helping to define what my life looked like. And so I think that journaling was huge, huge for me figuring out what I wanted. And just to be able to let go enough of the outside influence to step away from it enough that I could get my head around what I really wanted my day-to-day to look like. The other thing that, that Molly would have people do, what she still has people do, is to write your kind of like your future visualization. So I would sit down and I would write the perfect day. And so I'd start like, or like a year from now, what does my day look like? What do I want my day to look like? And I didn't look how... I wanted it to look different from what it did look like. And so realizing like, (laughs) I want my day to look a certain way. It's not looking that way. What do I have to do to change it? And it just so happened that I kind of took a more dramatic route to making that change because I think it was just something that I really needed to do. So I'm a huge fan of journaling, especially the like having prompts and things to write about. And I think that truly, when I lived in Chicago and I had more of that city influence, I do think that I felt even more of that pressure because I was more exposed to it every day. All my friends were friends from the industry. All of my, just everybody that I, I went to networking events all the time, which was great for my career, but it had such an influence on what I thought my life needed to look like. And so by moving to Michigan, I mean, it's, I guess I can't really give that advice to everybody. Like, hey, if you live in a city, like, Try somewhere else. <laughs> but <Please>. when I moved, <laughs> when I moved to Michigan and I surrounded myself with people who I went from surrounding myself 100% with people who were all on the same track as I was. They were either working in PR or they were working on their own businesses. And I love those people so much. But I actually found that it was really healthy for me personally when I moved back to Michigan and I started to surround myself with people who were teachers and people who were like, every kind of career possible. And maybe one or two of them ran their own businesses. And it was actually really nice because when they talked to me, a lot of people didn't even know what I did for a living. So I finally could say, oh my gosh, these people don't care about the alley who runs Loud Pixel and does all this stuff. They just, they don't care. And I could start to really like get outside of myself and see what I wanted and realized that I could still be happy. But it it was interesting because when I lived in DC, it was the same thing. You know, everything you went to, the first question that people would ask was, what do you do? And in Michigan, that's just not the first question. Nobody asks that. We had a neighborhood. My big goal this year was to just like make personal connections in the area locally face to face. And so we've hosted a couple of neighborhood parties and we had a bunch of neighbors over the other day. And I could maybe tell you what a couple of them do, but we just, we don't talk about that stuff. It's just not a part of the culture. And so I think that that's been a big help for me to like fully embrace doing what I want and not feeling that pressure where I think I felt so much more pressure in the city. You can get lost inside of it depending on what your micro niche is and who you surround yourself with. And then you can get really wrapped up in stuff three or four years later and just be like, oh, I'm really obsessed with blank metric or blank number. I should be doing this because everyone else is doing it. And 
I'm just so in awe and of you for like saying, wait a sec, I'm going to leave Chicago. I'm going to leave the big cities. I'm going to go like, I'm going to go find a smaller town in Michigan. That just sounds, I mean, I'm sure people who are listening, grass is always greener, right? We're like, look over and we're like, <laughs> I want to sail for 12 hours. That sounds amazing. <laughs> so, well, yeah. And I obviously depending you I know listeners live all over and if they do live in a city, you don't have to go to that extreme. But if you find yourself going to networking events all the time or, or tuning in to education or signing up to newsletters or listening to podcasts, whatever it might be, that are just so 100% based on the topic that you're engrossed in, it does not hurt to go to some like, I don't know, like I know you do yoga, like go connect with people who do things that you're interested in, go take a photography class, go take a painting class, connect with people, go to events where there are people of all different walks of life where you don't have to talk about that. And I think that, you know, whatever state you're in, you hopefully you love what you do and you're not kind of to the point that I was, but you can start to get away from defining yourself so much by your career. And you can start to really just like connect with people where that's not a conversation because it it is really easy to get lost in that when you're completely... And, you know, with kids, you're dedicating, you don't have as much time to dedicate anyway to going to those events. So you might have to pick and choose. But I think it's important to pick a hobby, like give that to yourself, even with a kid, give yourself the time to go and engage in one hobby that is not related to your career. So much so, 100%. It is, I think, this tip of having like, have something that you're interested in that's unrelated to like the work or the way that you make a living and that's unrelated to your parenting or family lifestyle, just because it's a nice outlet. Sometimes it's really nice to have a place to go where people aren't asking me about my kids or my business. And I can just go and like yoga, yes. you know, we're not going to talk about that. We're not geeking out about podcast download statistics with each other on yeah. the yoga mat. And that's wonderful. <laughs> yeah. And Sarah, I'm so glad you said that too, because I did go to the other extreme and I joined a mom's group. That's awesome. Same thing. But you're right. I think I just as much got wrapped up in that where you're defined by your kids. And it's like, oh, here we are talking about diapers and potty training. And <laughs> Well, you need and that, right? You need and- <laughs> that. Right? We're going to talk about all of that on the podcast. I think that's a, you totally because there are so many of your friends, your OG friends who don't have kids. And you're like, well, let me tell you about like what happens in a diaper. They're like, nah, not interested. <laughs> so you do need to have the friends. <laughs> you like, do, right. Yeah. You need it. But what I'm saying is you still need that like neutral ground. Like yes. you need the hobby that's neutral. That's not all in on parenting and not all in on career. That's just a mix of people where you're going to talk about something different. This is why I keep my yoga teacher certification active because I sub like 10 classes a year or I teach just enough to be able to keep my certification alive, but I'm not pursuing it as a business. And it's so funny because my super business-minded friends are like, what's your plan with your yoga teaching? Are you like, you know, what we're talking about? Are you building out a studio? Are you like hosting lots of retreats? Like, are you aggressively pursuing success in the yoga field? I'm like, no, (laughs) I'm most certainly not. But I do it because it's- Do they ask you, yeah, do you (laughs) enjoy it? (laughs) Right. Right, right. These questions that we ask, like, even for parenting, it's like, are you back in your original genes? And it's like, how are you doing? Like, how are you feeling? Because, 
Here's the thing. Okay, as a researcher, right, it's easy to measure things in quantitative form. Like numbers are really easy. Qualitative form is a little bit more tricky. And so it's so easy to just like default to the numbers and say, oh, do you, yeah, do you fit back into like this pant size? (laughs) Do you make this much money? Are you planning to grow to this level? Because it's so much easier to understand than the feelings and the other stuff. So, So, yeah, like as a researcher, I love to present charts because that's really easy to understand. People love our brains really like to be able to connect the dots and have this like conclusive piece of evidence. And our brains don't do as well with the fluffy stuff. Like we just don't do as well, even though that stuff is really important and like you can't fill in the gaps without it. So yeah. So think about that when you next time you talk to your friends and ask them questions, like come up with something that's a little less number. I think the eulogy test is so good in this regard because, you know, it's like, what would they say about you at your funeral? And like, I would hate to have written on my epitaph, she fit back into her jeans within six weeks. <laughs> like, yes. no one's going to yes. care when I'm 90. Like, nobody's going to care yes. if I ever fit back into those jeans again. Okay. So now I want to ask you about your parenting journey because kids are such a part of this and you've got two little ones now. Tell us about mm-hmm. how pregnancy and becoming a mom treated you and how old your kids are. Okay. I have two girls and they're two and four now. And I think I've always, I was like the camp counselor who loved 10 year old kids and did really well with 10 year old kids. And then as it turned out, newborns are nothing like 10 year old kids. And so it definitely rocked my world. (laughs) And, (laughs) you know, you like read the parenting books. It's like everybody's story. You read the parenting books and they say to do one thing and then you do that thing and it doesn't work. And then what do you do now? So I definitely struggled with having (laughs) having young children. And then when I added Arden, my youngest, two years later, so two girls, two years apart when I added Arden. I mean, seriously, that was the hardest year of my life. And back to Molly, because Molly's amazing. She was like, she in her whole planning, she said, come up with a word to define your year and kind of like be a little bit of a theme of what you want your year to look like. And before I had these kind of bigger, cool words to define and reflect back on like this year, I said, I'm working on connection with local people, connection, real life connection. Well, my first year, my goal, my word was survive. And I think that that was a really good word because it just told me that I didn't have to put too much pressure on myself to grow my business or do anything amazing or start anything new or finish anything old. I just had to get through the year. And I just gave myself permission and that was that. And that helped me a ton. And I would say finally now with a two-year-old and a four-year-old, they are really like, they're really getting to be awesome and fun. And and the whole like having siblings thing is great. I was gone last night. I had a photo session last night. And so my husband, Jeff, was putting the girls to bed. And I always do this thing where I like snuggle Arden, our two-year-old, for a minute and give her a little snuggle before bed. And so I wasn't there to do it. And Jeff was like, well, mommy's not here. I'm just going to put you to bed. And Zelda, our oldest, was like, well, if mommy's not going to do it, then I'll snuggle Arden. So she like sat on the chair and snuggled her and sang her a bunch of songs. And I was like, it's finally working. The siblings are like loving and entertaining each other and we're getting there. And so, yeah, it's just gotten finally so much easier. And it's still a day-to-day. It's not always easy, but it's getting there. We have been taking them sailing for the last year. So we've actually like, we have a, we bought a 30-foot sailboat that we take out on Lake Michigan, which if you've never been to Michigan, 
Lake Michigan is a lot like the ocean. It's not just a little lake you can't see across it. It's very big. You, it would probably take you four days to sail or probably, I don't know how long it would take. It would take a long time to sail all the way around it. Three days. I don't know. But it's just, it's been a lot of fun. And they go to daycare three days a week. And then I have them because I do photograph weddings. And I've actually, another side topic, I've started to grow my associate team. So I have other people working for me as contractors. So they'll shoot weddings some weekends so that I can spend more time with my family because that's another challenge. Weddings happen on the weekends. Jeff works during the week. I wanted to be able to still have time with the family. So I started taking those concepts I had learned of outsourcing and bringing other people in. And I started to grow my team and send have basically I do the marketing and the management. And then I have other people photograph weddings for me more and more so that I can get back to the family and I can just work on running the business. So they're in daycare for three days a week because I'm often gone on weekends. Again, I'm limiting it, but I'm often gone on the weekends. And then I'm home with them two days a week. And then, you know, Jeff and I both on the weekends or just Jeff if I'm gone. And those days home alone are still like, I am not the best single parent in the world by any means. I will say that openly. I still sometimes struggle with the idea of a two-year-old who's like, no mom, like you carry me everywhere, (laughs) try to get stuff done, see how that goes. But I do really value that time with them because I want to be able to be there and spend time with them and then still run a business. And I still completely guilt-free love my work days. I love my work days when I can sit quietly by myself and control my day because I can't control my day with them and just you know get done what I need to get done. So there's two things that you said that I just really love and want to repeat because one of my best friends has told me she's six or seven years older than me. So she had kids five years before I did. And it was great. I got to watch her go through it all. And she was very honest. And she was like, you know, before age five, not my cup of tea. Like, I'm not really interested in babies. <laughs> and I know I have so many friends who like adore the baby period and taught like it's everything mm-hmm. to them. And she was like, I'm so much better when they're school age. And I just loved how much permission that gave me to be like, oh, I don't have to be like perfect type A parent for every single age. Like I can have great years and I can have subpar years and it'll all be fine. <laughs> and yes. So I Jeff and I have that conversation. That. <laughs> we totally talk about that because I know like I know because when I was a, you know, 19 year old summer camp counselor, I very much chose not to counsel the six year olds. Those were not my group. I was like, no, I can do really well with these older kids who can interact a little bit more. And so Jeff and I have very openly given ourselves permission to turn to each other and say, like, you know what? This age is not like my ideal age. We're fine. I love them. They're adorable, but there are moments that are really hard. And we just know that, yeah, we're going to. We're not wishing it away, but we really know that we're going to be better parents to older kids. (laughs) Right. And I think it's totally freeing and liberating to struggle in some years and just be like, you know what? I do not know how to connect or talk to this three-year-old, five-year-old, seven-year-old, whatever age it is for you that's (laughs) really giving you a challenge. The other thing that you said that I love is that your word of the year was survive because I'm about to become the parent to a second one. And my legit goal for year two of being a parent or your, I guess it'll be your three and a half to whatever, but mm-hmm. is to make it, to make it to my kiddo, my second kiddo being 12 months old. I don't have huge goals for either my business or myself, like aside from get enough sleep, don't get too sick, like deal with the crying that happens. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. Like, because imagine okay if you put, that. 
if you put that pressure on yourself in that first year that you have to do some big, amazing career thing, you're just setting yourself up for mental instability, basically. You're just going to put yourself in a position where you're going to feel like a failure, at least on one side or the other. So I think that, yeah, just to say like, you don't have to have this gangbusters year every single year and grow and be amazing every single year. Sometimes you can just try to keep it status quo if that, like just get it through. Right. And there's, for people who are listening, I'll link this up in the show notes, but I did a whole exercise on cutting back in your business and finding the like the one or two things that are the most important to keep going because that's part of my planning work for going into this whole season of motherhood. And you can go check it out. I'll put the link in the show notes. So because we don't have to have exactly what Ali is saying. We don't have to have all these years of doing, <laughs> trying to do 72 <laughs> things all in one year. Like it's okay if pregnancy and baby are the biggest thing that you did in a year. And I don't think we give each other enough permission. And also if you want to go gangbusters and like have a record epic year, I also know plenty of women who do that. So you do you. And yeah. if you want to do less, I'll put this link in the show notes. Yeah, good call. Okay, yeah. You can, yeah, it's not bad to go gangbusters. Like right, that's awesome. Right. right. I personally, struggle. <laughs> Me as well. Yes. <laughs> I think just most give of us are going to struggle. Like give yourself permission to just like <laughs> take a nap. But if you've got like, I know yes. there's so many people out there, their stories are all different. So, but back to your story, because I, now I want to ask you about the, the particular scheduling things. Cause I remember even when we were setting up this podcast, we didn't want to book it on a Friday because you were blocking out your week and you were setting up this schedule that was not traditional. Like it's not a nine to five Monday to Friday. Can you give us some of the geeky details into like what days don't you work and how do you create boundaries? And you take a month off every year, I think. Tell me about all of these things. <laughs> yeah, that was very much trial and error. I've changed it. During busy times, their daycare has typically been really flexible where they'll let them go five days a week will like up their time when things get really crazy for me. But typically they do three days a week and it the times change depending on the the time of the year or just kind of it's like arbitrary really. So right now they go Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday, and that's just because I want the option if I'm shooting a wedding to be sailing on Monday. <laughs> so Jeff can take he works a traditional like he works for somebody. He works remotely. But if he wants to take Monday off and we can go sailing and make our weekend Sunday, Monday, we can do that. So that way we're not paying for childcare if we don't need it. And I really only need three days a week right now. And I've been doing more with outsourcing. I have, like I said, my team who shoots weddings for me. I have somebody who I use to edit my photos so that I don't have to do that. And that's pretty huge. So I just have to prep it. My main things are like sales meetings, selling, selling products, and managing the business. And then the little intricacies of actually getting the photos ready are largely taken care of by this other person. And in terms of like my scheduler, because I do use a calendar, an online calendar where people can pick the time to meet with me. And I have one calendar that's specifically for meetings and one calendar that's specifically for photo sessions. And my meetings are really particular just based on, I used to like (laughs) early on in my business, I was like, sure, like tell me when you want to meet and where, and I'll drive an hour and meet you wherever that might be. And then I quickly learned that that wasn't going to work. So now I actually kind of do a trade with a local event stylist and florist where I'll take some photos of her flowers when I'm over there. And then she lets me use her space for free. And so I limit the days when I meet with people and I limit the times. So a lot of people, because I do work with like 
couples who might have daytime work hours, some of them can't meet during the day. And so I used to just meet them always like at five, whatever. But when my girls are in daycare, I might only have from five or five thirty until like seven thirty or eight because they're going to go to bed. And so I started blocking off that time. So now if I do meet with them in the evening, which more and more, honestly, they're just taking time off work and meeting with me during the day because I set that expectation that that's what I expect them to do. But um, otherwise, they'll typically meet me like after seven thirty. So I just took control because when I let them take control. I was meeting on times that made me angry (laughs) and they were frustrating me. And so I said, huh, if I can set up this calendar and I send it to them and those are the only times available, they're just going to figure it out or they're not. And it's okay if I lose a couple clients because they insist that I meet at this specific time or occasionally if a client who's already my client can only meet at a certain time, like every once in a while, I can make it work at 5.30. But generally... I don't want to get taken advantage of. And that's just what was happening. The more I was letting people take control, the less control I had over my own life. And so I use a calendar system and it says, this is the time and this is when I'm going to meet with you. And this is where. So I no longer drive to them. They have to come to me or else it's going to be on the phone. And it has to be the times that I define or else, you know, it's if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. That's how it is. So most of my clients have been really great about meeting me during the day, coming to me, or just like doing a phone call on their lunch hour. Yeah, I think that's so smart. I have pretty tight windows on my calendar scheduler because I want most of my meetings to happen between 1 p.m. and 3 p.m. on any given day. Mm -hmm. And I realize that when I send it to somebody, that might not work for their schedule. So I include a little note that says, if this doesn't work, send me some times. But it has been a great forcing function to get almost all of my meetings to happen in really tight windows. And frankly, that's light, like that's just schedule saving. If I'm having meetings all over the place, it really wreaks havoc on getting other things done. And the other thing is, if you're in any kind of sales, and I so I sell to clients, if you are responding to an inquiry, you have a lead, and you just say, sure, when you want to meet, you're not giving them any call to action. And so they're not, they're, you're giving them work to do. And the more work you're giving them, the more roadblocks you're giving them and the less likely they are to follow up. So if I send them a calendar right away and I say, hey, I'd love to meet with you. Here is when I can meet with you. It's so easy for them to just click on it. So it's really a win-win all around. I love having that. I think that's like been a huge part. I always tell everybody it's like having a personal assistant in my life but I only have to pay like a couple dollars versus paying, you know, hundreds of dollars to have a personal assistant working for me every single month. That's exactly how I feel about so many of the different tools that I use. And it took me a while to even get on board with things like Meet Edgar. And then I was like, wait, if I were paying somebody to do this for me, oh, 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 like, (laughs) oh, 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 right. And I kind of put it together. I was like, yeah, I'm going to use that. (sighs) Amazing. Allie, I love this so much. I love what you've talked about and what you've shared, your story about leaving a big, like successful company that you built with your partner in order to pursue a life that was more meaningful to you. What are some of the things you're working on now? Like what's next in your business? What are you excited about? A couple of things because I think that when you're kind of an entrepreneur at heart, it's really hard to sit still and just like not be growing something. So one thing that I've been working on is taking the education side of photography where I've been growing up. I have a podcast. It's called Photo Field Notes for Photographers. And every week I share different tips with them. And then I've been working on some partnerships for some products that kind of go along with that with education and templates. And again, it's all of these things where just kind of outsourcing or not taking the time to build something from scratch where I can take the systems that I've learned over the years and I can apply them and help other people take those systems and use them in their businesses so that they can 
get their businesses kind of to a nice smooth place sooner versus like trial and error and figuring things out. So I'm working on that, some partnerships on that side and just kind of always looking to create like every single year, one of the core things that just makes me so happy is to have some kind of creative creation, something involved where I'm pushing myself, making myself feel uncomfortable while trying something new. So there's always something like that that's going to be burning at the back of my mind that I'm going to be working on. I love this. Um, Thank you for taking the time today to share all of this and to be so candid and honest. And if people are following you on the socials, where can they find you? Sure. So it's Ali Ciardo pretty much everywhere. (laughs) And AliCiardo.com. It's A-L-L-I-E-S-I-A-R-T-O. And then Photo Field Notes is the podcast. And those are the main places. Mm. Thank you. I love catching up with you. You too, Sarah. Thank you. Everyone, if you enjoyed that interview as much as I did, I want to take just a minute to tell you about a couple of episodes that you might also enjoy. Go back through our archives and take a look for episode number 104. We talked to Vanessa Van Edwards, who is the best-selling author of the book Captivate, all about her experience transitioning to motherhood and those first few weeks of parenting and what nobody tells you. That's episode number 104. You can find our episodes by going into your browser and typing startuppregnant.com slash 104 for the episode number, and it'll take you right there. I also think you might enjoy episode 94 with Kimberly Ann Johnson, who is the author of The Fourth Trimester, who also talks about this journey into the postpartum period and new motherhood. And if you want to hear my story a little bit more, I recorded a series of episodes with Carrie Fortin on my journey into having a second baby. And I recorded the experiences, the good, the bad, the ugly, the uncertain, the confusing, the overwhelming, all of them in a series of episodes in the 80s. So check out episode number 81, where we talk about what it's like to talk about the really hard things. And episode number 86, where we talk about how I prepared for maternity leave and how she prepared for maternity leave, because that is a particularly challenging puzzle for new entrepreneurs and female entrepreneurs in a country that doesn't have much in the way of maternity leave policy or protection. So the episodes that I recommend you go check out are 81, 86, 94, and 104. If you are a longtime listener and you've been listening to them straight through, then I will see you on the next episode. But if you are new here, you can find the links in your podcast show notes. You can type them into your browser, just startuppregnant.com slash the episode number. And they're always three digits. So it's 001 or 002 or 104. I knew that we would get to at least 100 episodes. I do not know if we will get to 1000 episodes. That seems daunting right now, but we will see. Or you can just scroll through and search on your podcast player for these episodes. The episode numbers are in the show notes and you can find them if you scroll through. And you know, I always say this and I mean it. Leave us a review on iTunes if you like our show. It takes a few seconds and it really does help us a lot. 
If you want more of what we're talking about, go over to startuppregnant.com and get on our email list. We send out a weekly newsletter with time-saving tips for parents and entrepreneurs. And I always include a weekly gadget or tool or something awesome that we've stumbled upon to help make your life just a little bit easier. And as always, you can reach out to us at hello at startuppregnant.com. We love hearing from you.